Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we begin our lead up to Christmas. Of course, if you're in retail, you've had your Christmas stuff out for a few weeks already, or quite a few weeks already. But as we're now in December, we're going to be starting our build-up towards Christmas. If you had a church background that was uh, more traditional, you might remember, though it's quite unlikely... (laughs) That this time of the year in the traditional calendar is a time when people are supposed to, if you're following the lectionary, supposed to preach on the end times. (laughs) And that might come as a surprise to you because why are we preaching on the end times when we're looking forward to Christmas? And uh, even in me saying that, you might be getting scared thinking about, oh, he's going to be talking about the rapture and the rupture and all the other stuff that gets... It's amazing how the end times have been hijacked by weirdos. You don't have to look very far on YouTube to find somebody ranting about something related to, at least as they say, the end times. That is a hijacking, as dangerous as any hijacking that might happen with your car. A hijacking of the end times, because as we read the scripture, we actually find that it has a lot to say about the end times, both Old and New Testament. And so I want to to redeem this. I want to try and pull it back. So we're going to, over the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be looking at the things that the Scripture does focus on in relation to the end times. And today we're going to start with a Scripture that, by the grace of God, and this is its purpose, is going to leave us hopeful and prepared. Over the last couple of years, I've really come to appreciate... Peter's letters. There's two of them towards the end of the, the, uh, the way our New Testament is laid out. Most New Testaments are laid out. And they, uh, they don't, I don't believe they get as much attention in our preaching, in our thinking, as they deserve. I really come to enjoy them. They are God's wisdom pre-digested and ready to be applied. I find them incredibly practical and really helpful. As I've read them over and over again, I have found so much opportunity for applying the things that I'm reading in my day-to-day life without having to necessarily go digging through all sorts of interesting stuff to work out, what's he trying to say? Second Peter is also has some of the uh, most challenging to interpret pieces of writing in the New Testament between there and Jude. 
There are some very uh, obscure references, shall I just say, that Peter makes. And yet somehow his application of those things and what he's trying to tell us is incredibly effective and it's incredibly, I want to say important, and it's true, it is important, but it's incredibly relevant and easy to apply and important to apply to our lives. And especially now in both the letters, he talks a lot about preparation, the preparation of the gospel and how it prepares us. There was a preparation for the gospel. If you are a believer in Jesus this morning, then the Holy Spirit was at work in you, preparing you to be challenged to put all your faith in Jesus. There's always a preparation. And there was a preparation for the coming of the gospel, the coming of Jesus. And just by the way, because I forgot to make this connection, the reason why we talk about the end times coming up to Christmas is because Christmas is the first coming of Jesus. And the end times, their focus in the scripture, is about the second coming of Jesus. And that theme resonates over and over and over again throughout, especially the New Testament, but actually also the Old as well. And Peter talks about that. He says the gospel is given to prepare us for the second coming of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but certainly in these times, I find that I need a little bit of encouragement to remain hopeful and to continue being prepared. So we're going to read 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. And it has some parallels to another passage in the New Testament. Also, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. I'll say a little bit more about that just now. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be as uh, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's a pretty much, feels like, full stop. Said everything I need to say. He still has a few other things to say. But it, this is an amazing encapsulated thought. And the other scripture that I was referring to, which is also 4, 7 to 11, is, of course, Ephesians. And it interests me that it has some of the same themes. It has some of the same themes of God giving gifts to people to prepare and equip us. The difference here is how he starts. Verse 7 says, the end of all things is near. Isn't that a great way to start a conversation? The end of all things is near. 
Oh, not another one of those crazies. I told you there'd been a lot of hijacking of this stuff. The scripture does say this, though. The end of all things is near. And this is how Peter chooses to introduce or put a context to what he's going to say afterwards. The end. It's not an end. It's not the next end. It's not the end of a season. It's not the end of uh, 2023's vision. He's talking about the end. And just to make sure we understand, he says, of all things. So what is the end of all things? Before I answer that, let me ask the question another way. I've heard people say, oh, no, 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 the church age is just another step in God's plan. There may be one or who knows how many more stages in the plan of God unfurling before the end. This scripture contradicts that. It tells us clearly that where God has brought us to is the culmination of everything he's been doing before the end. I remember, I can't say that phrase without remembering a very classic piece of judge history. So I'm sharing an inside joke with you so that you can be part of it. Years ago, our daughter Nikita did a year's uh, year of your life course down in Jeffrey's Bay. And no, she wasn't learning to surf. She was learning about Jesus and how to serve him more. She had an amazing year. When we, when we drove down to collect her and bring her home, she was very teary. She makes deep connections. And she had made a lot of friends while she was down there. And as we're driving away... The tears are absolutely welling up. And nobody knows what to say. It's, it's one of those moments. How do you comfort, uh, for me, the, the second darling of my life? How do you, how do you give comfort? How do you, how do you... And our youngest son at that point, sensing the gravity of the moment, starts singing, This is the end. And it was, it was a moment, it was a beautiful moment of turning sadness into joy. Fortunately, everybody was able to see the funny side of it and laugh. And it broke the tension of that moment. But that was an end, an end of a great season of life. But Peter here is saying, the end of all things is near. It's not just another end. God has an amazing perspective on time. And in fact, Peter explains this a little bit later in his second letter. 2 Peter 3.8 tells us, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord doesn't delay his promise, as some understand delaying, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. You do have to read the whole verse. It's not just good enough to say, oh, days like a thousand years, thousand years like a day. God's not limited by our time. No, 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 no. Peter explains why we have this perspective on God. God is in the massive macro picture and 
He's in the minute detail. We like to say the devil's in the detail. Why? Because (laughs) certainly if you're like me, you're super bad about the detail. And the detail's the thing that trips you up. So that's why we say the devil, the Lord is in the detail. So for him, what would take us a thousand years to get of detail, to get right, the Lord is able to achieve in a moment. And yet what we get frustrated with in a moment, the Lord is able to endure for a thousand years. Why? Second Peter tells us. Because he's got a purpose. He's enduring our sin. And I'm not denying that there is suffering as well in this world. But he's enduring our sin. And he's standing with those who do suffer. So that every single person can receive what Jesus has done for us. As much as there is a a cost for us. The cost for God of waiting is way greater. And God's timing is always perfect and often painful to us. Because his timing is perfect, he always sees more than we see. Lord, don't you want just want to come back? Well, what about the thousands who I've been working with right at this moment? that you don't know about, who are on the brink of giving their hearts to Jesus. So that's why the Lord is patient. And this end of all things is the context in which he goes on to say, therefore, there are consequences to it being the end. I'll say more on that just now. Therefore, be sober and minded for prayer. There's a consequence to seeing things through this, the, the, these eyes of the end times. And it's not fear and building my, my bomb shelter. It's focusing on Jesus, being in his presence in prayer. And I, I like the way he phrases it. Be sober minded for prayer. <laughs> not schizophrenic, not drunk on our own fears, but sober-minded, fully present, acknowledging the reality that is our circumstance, that is our world, but seeing it in the light of the end times. I found this particularly helpful in praying for world events, which are pretty crazy at the moment. If I don't see these things through, as, as Peter's saying we need to, through the lens of the end times, the fact that we are in the end times, then it's really hard to pray constructively and not fearfully, to stay sober-minded. So there is a consequence, or there are consequences. We do need to be sober-minded, not drunk-minded, but fully conscious and alert, ready and prepared, because when we draw near to God, which is at the heart of what prayer is about, rather than speaking or reciting a formula, drawing close to God, 
we find a perspective that gives us hope. We need to be prayers. <laughs> Prayer needs to be part of who we are. I, I remember reading somewhere that to pray for a Christian should be to breathe. It should be that natural to us. can't remember where I heard it, where I saw it, but it's deeply impactful. We don't think about breathing, most of us. We shouldn't have to uh, think hard about, ooh, I should probably be praying about that. We should find ourselves already having prayed about it, already having committed it to the Lord. And this is a consequence of living, recognizing it's the end times. Prayer leads us to being hopeful. It brings us back into the presence of God. It brings our needs and circumstances under His influence. Because if where we are is in His presence, that's where our concerns and our problems are. And He has the best listening ear of anybody. And it eventually enables us to submit all of that stuff. prepares us for God's response. Verse 8, he says, above all, or he introduces that with above all. So even above the circumstances and the reality of living with the end times in mind, that is already leading us, as we've seen, to being hopeful because of prayer. Above all of these things, above all the circumstances, maintain constant love for one another. I think one of the reasons that, that Peter and John especially, but actually all of the New Testament authors, writers, um, talk about this thing of loving, love one another deeply, love one another sincerely, is because it's difficult. I know this may come as a huge shock to you, but sometimes it's difficult for Nadine to love me because I'm not always that awesome. And sometimes I'm tired, and I also don't find it easy to love. We need to be reminded. So even above the reality of, um, of living with this end-time perspective that brings hope, is the reality that we need to maintain a constant love. Love is the air that God breathes and the very essence of His being and motivation. Everything God has done has been motivated by love for us. Why, Lord? But thank you, Jesus. And he goes on and explains why we need to continue to maintain love because love covers a multitude of sins. That's an amazing scripture. Giving love shows that we have received forgiveness. Battling to give love shows that we have battled to receive forgiveness. Allow yourself to churn on that a bit. There's lots of scriptures that uh, I could mention here. But he immediately makes it practical in verse 9 and says, be hospitable <laughs> without complaining. 
So one of the ways that we show our love is hospitality, and it's one that Peter emphasizes here. That we do time together. We don't avoid one another. (laughs) You know that phrase? You can choose your friends but not your family. That applies to church as well. We are family. We are family. Okay. We can't choose one another. God adds us together into this body, Venture Church. He adds us into his body. And we don't don't get to choose one another. And some of us, we would not naturally be friends if God had not called us together. But he does. So we don't avoid one another. Please don't avoid one another. Let's show sincere love by being hospitable without complaining. Verse 10 goes on. Each one has received a gift. And this is where this passage parallels Ephesians 4 so powerfully. But it doesn't have the same emphasis. If each one receives a gift means each one receives a gift, then that doesn't leave anybody out. Which means you have received a gift from Jesus. It's Yolandi's birthday today, and I know she's received a whole lot of gifts already. We think of birthdays and we think of Christmas as times for gift-giving and gift-receiving. Each one of you has received a gift from your Heavenly Father already, without Exception. Occasionally I've had this conversation. People have said to me, oh no, I don't have any gifts. You're calling God a liar? Because that's what that means. What you actually should be saying, I don't know what my gift is. Oh, okay. Well, what have you done to find out? Nothing. Well, you can be guaranteed if you do nothing, you'll never find out what it is. Rather put your hand to something. And sometimes the gifts that God gives us surprise us. God picked out of all of the million Israelites in Egypt in slavery a stutterer to be his mouthpiece. And not for the last time. Sometimes God surprises you with the gift that he gives you. But he calls you. And when we, res- when we respond to our call, He equips us. He prepares us. It's interesting that this this whole thing about God giving gifts is in the, in other words, He's preparing us, is in the context of the end times. God is preparing us. So because it's the end is near, God equips us to be prepared. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. One of the, the, the biggest focus of the end times is Jesus. The end times is about Jesus. It's, 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 it's the easiest litmus test when you're listening to somebody uh, talking about the end times. Are they talking about Jesus? Is this pointing you towards Jesus? Is this giving you faith in Jesus? Is this giving you hope in Jesus? Are you feeling prepared in the gifts that Jesus has given you? Because if it's not, if it's about, if you end up feeling 
confused and uncertain and even fearful, then maybe that's not a good, uh, it's not a good person to be listening to anymore. Get back to what this, the purpose of the Scripture is in telling us these, the, end, the end is nigh. The end is nigh. Be hopeful and prepared. You know, what did being prepared mean for Peter? Because there, here he is writing this, probably in, I don't know, the late 50s, early 60s of the first century. And he was expecting Jesus' second return. He had experienced Jesus' first coming personally. Not at the, not at the crib, because possibly he was also a baby. Probably he was also a baby, if he was born yet. But the grown Messiah, he knew first. And here he is telling us, me, who is an eyewitness of these things, I'm telling you, the end is near. So live hopeful and prepared. I'm prepared. I think he was prepared to see Jesus in the flesh. And yet we know that he died a martyr's death. I don't think that caught him by surprise, to be honest with you, because he was living hopeful, and he was living prepared. He was prepared to die for Jesus, but he was also prepared to live for Jesus. If he's talking about being sober-minded for prayer, then I think the Lord would have given him a little bit of a heads up, because that's what being prepared is about. So what does all this mean? Well, the first thing it means is that we're closer to the second coming of Jesus now than we were 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's just pure logic. If Jesus is coming, which he is, then if it was the end times 2,000 years ago, it's still the end times 2,000 years later. just two days for Jesus. And we still need to be being hopeful and prepared. So just, I just want to unpack a little bit of what that means practically for us before I close. What is the Christian expectation of the end? What is our hope in the end times? For some people, and, and if you've thought this before, This is not a time for condemning yourself because this is very common for most people. They think of Jesus coming as being like a fire escape. The world is sinking in atomic desolation and soup and Jesus passes me the ladder to get out of the fire. It's funny, the Scripture, actually, you've got to work really hard to read that into the Scripture. He gives us hope, and He prepares us to live well so that one day we will die well, but either way, we will come into His presence. So what is the Christian expectation of the end? First of all, it's meeting Jesus. It's coming into His presence. Not about how we get there. It's not about the journey. It's about the destination. And Jesus 
is the destination. So our expectation, our hope is seeing Jesus face to face. It, our hope is about our salvation being universally confirmed at his judgment seat. So the end is about God's justice and God's righteousness being seen universally, i.e. by everything and everyone and, it, and him being seen to be just. First of all, in us. Why do we stand before the judgment seat of God? All judgments passed away from us. No. There is also a judgment that declares in your favor. In heaven, it's already happened on your behalf. But there will come a time when we stand before Jesus and we are universally, publicly, eternally declared to be those who have accepted and received God's salvation in Jesus. It's part of our hope. It's part of our expectation. There are lots of things that try to undermine our faith and make us question whether our salvation is real right now. But our hope is that at the end time, when we stand before Jesus, He will declare us to be right with God. There's also a um, handing out of rewards. So our rewards being received. Why? So that we've got something to praise Him with. Because guess what? You didn't bring your checkbook. Oh, because can anybody remember a checkbook? Your credit card. No, 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 we don't have credit cards. We only have debit cards. Your debit card. Your enormous bank balance that doesn't fit on a, <laughs> doesn't fit on a single page. <laughs> okay, that was naughty. We can't take anything with us. Scripture is very clear, and it's always clear in this same context. So our hope is that there will be, we will have things that we are given rewards for so that we do have something to praise Him with. More on that, another day. It's also the beginning of the redemption of the whole universe. We are not escaping planet Earth. God created a good universe. He's not given up on it, just as he's not given up on us. And he will create, recreate it, just as he's recreated us. That's part of our hope and our expectation the end is an end of sin and its consequences and injustice. It is our hope that those things will end. Sin, unrighteousness, and injustice. When you experience corruption firsthand, know that living with the end times in mind brings perspective because God has set a time when he will put all things to right and all things done in secret will be brought into the light and judged by him who is the perfect judge. Nothing will be hidden. When we live with that in mind, we don't give in to corruption. We don't become part of the problem because the end is near and there is a consequence to that. 
And when we remember it, we live full of hope and prepared to live, really live in this corrupt and broken world. So living in the end times is characterized by these things. Serving Jesus passionately, faithfully, and powerfully. Want to get some passion and power in your life? Put your life in perspective. Remember, God is taking time and creation somewhere, and you're part of it. It's characterized by loving people in the light of eternity, both their eternity our and your eternity. It's about foiling the devil by living free in forgiveness, the same kind that was extended to us at salvation. So be sober-minded for prayer. So much of what I've been talking about is massaged into us as we pray. Prayer without the Word can often be empty, our own ideas. But the word without prayer can often be lifeless and legalistic. So are you hopeful and prepared? I know that for most of you, I can answer yes. So then why am I preaching this? Because the scripture says, the end is near. Are you living in the light of that? Is your hope in that or in some kind of fire escape type mentality? Because Peter lived and died sober and secure and confident. And that's what Jesus wants for you and me. Can I ask you to stand? I just want to lead us in a response to God's voice. like to remind us of a, a few things. Jesus is the only one who can bring the peace that gives us real hope. So if you don't have that peace, you need to put your life right with Jesus. And you can do that right now. There are no special formulas, but if you have faith in your heart, that means deep, deep down in your being, Put it in Jesus now. Because then you'll be prepared to meet him. If the idea of meeting Jesus terrifies you, or if it worries you, reaffirm your faith in him because he brings that peace and he prepares you to meet him. If you're his, have you really entrusted everything you are to Him? Everything you are and everything you have to Him. And the consequence of that is, is your preparation to meet Him stronger and stronger every day? No matter if you're young or if you're old, we need to live prepared because we do not know the time. So living prepared is the right way to live. Jesus, we come before you 
as we've heard your word, as we are encouraged, but also challenged, as you give us hope that we can live hopeful, we can live full of peace. We want to reaffirm ourselves to you. We want to ask you to forgive us where we've blown it. Forgive us our sin. Lord, we want to ask you to um, lead us into freedom. And so, as you taught us to pray, we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, we leave it right before you now. Lord, even if this is the, the tenth time we've had to bring this before you, we do it again because you meet us in love and peace and you give us hope that we can be whole and we can truly live free. Father, I also ask that you would help us and we recommit ourselves to this, to embrace the fact that you have given each and every one of us gift or gifts. Lord, we recommit to seeking them out. Why don't you speak to us? Why don't you help us to understand what they are? But Lord, we commit ourselves to putting our hands to the plow, to doing something. Why don't you lead us in that? Because we want to be prepared. We want to fulfill our part in helping others be prepared and ready to meet you face to face. We confess to you it's such an abstract truth to us, so difficult to really have any kind of picture. So Lord, I abandon trying to, trying to do that. I just know that it's, it is what you tell us our reality is and that it's, it's one that we can have faith for, one that we can have hope in, meeting you face to face. I'm sure, Lord, it'll be nothing like all the things that I've imagined. Yet, it's not wrong for us to imagine. We tell you we love you. We love you in this life. And because of that, we love one another intentionally. But we are also prepared by your presence to meet you face to face. So we commit ourselves into your hands in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.